welcome to Origins, a podcast about the money behind the money. This podcast is created by Notation, a pre-seed venture capital firm based in Brooklyn, New York. We invest in amazing technical teams and projects in New York City on day zero. You can find us on Twitter at Notation Capital. Season three of Origins is sponsored by Silicon Valley Bank and Carta, formerly known as eShares. We use Carta and Notation and recommend it to all the startups we work with. But something you might not know is that Carta has a product for LPs too. Carta for LPs allows you to easily sign, send, and store K1s, manage capital calls, review investment KPIs, and more. To learn more about Carta, go to carta.com. Silicon Valley Bank is the bank of the world's most innovative companies and their investors, with a dedicated practice for emerging managers. They've been friends and partners to Notation since the beginning. To learn more about SVB services, visit svb.com. Jeff Fagnan is a founding partner at Accomplice VC. Previous to Accomplice, he was a general partner at Atlas Ventures for more than a decade. He was one of the earliest investors in AngelList and is on the board there, where he's helped create new funds like Maiden Lane and Spearhead. I'm here with Jeff Fagnan. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, we're recording at Silicon Valley Bank. Not because that they're sponsors of the show, but just because it's actually a good room to record. They're in. good people too. Um, so, tell us a little bit about your background, uh, how you uh, started in tech and, and became a VC. Sure, it was a not a straight line. Rarely is. Rarely is. But I think even in this, you know, so I actually went to school for marine biology. Okay. I went to school in Alaska. I was convinced I was going to track whales, salmon, all these types of things. After working on a crab boat, after a few other incidents, uh, Exxon Valdez oil spill, I ended up graduating in mathematics, uh, went back, got involved in tech and writing a really bad piece of software. And at, at some point ended up going through a bunch of different kind of Trials and tribulations, joined a company called Nortel at the time. Um, After that, went to consulting, which was, in my view, the dark side, but was an option to have a career later. And one of my- Is this around the dot-com? This was around the dot-com. Matter of fact, uh, was part of the group that launched Orbitz, the travel website, which was not about any sort of product marvel. It was just around getting the airlines to agree to share inventory. Right. I also did a project with General Motors, which was, they were actually thinking about allowing you to go onto a kiosk, because you couldn't do this at home, mind you, Mm -hmm. and order an automobile, and then they would actually drive it to you three weeks later, kind of order to delivery. Okay. And they wondered if they could get that to work, and they never could because of just the dealer power and everything like this. So was at a consulting firm, Booz Allen and Hamilton. One of the partners there went off to join this venture capital firm called SoftBank. Mm Mm-hmm. He called me one day and said, how would you like to be in venture capital? I'm like, no way, dude. I want to be an entrepreneur. I'm about le- yeah. ready to leave this, and I'm going to yeah. be an entrepreneur. He's like, just come out here. Just come out here, You know, work with us for a little bit until you figure out what you want to do. And, and for, for historical context, SoftBank at the time 
well, they are now again. <laughs> but SoftBank at the time was like the they were the venture brand. capital firm. Yeah, matter of fact, somebody at some point in time should draw a nucleus around that and look at everything that spun off. Yeah, from you know there was Fred Wilson, Jerry yep. Colonna to us Brad at Feld. C Capital, Brad Feld. Yep. To you know, um, you know, so many people that have just kind yep. of Gary and China, the whole you know Ravi Dusamali to my partner Ryan Moore, who was at Grand right. Banks Capital with Charlie Lax. Right. So very interesting, just the origin of yeah. SoftBank. Yeah. So yeah, that's where I started my career, and that was in uh, San Francisco Valley, uh, Menlo, Menlo, uh, or yeah. actually, sorry, Mountain View. Right. Right. Mountain View. Nobody goes there anymore. Uh, that was uh, 1999. Yep. And ended up working with SoftBank Seed Capital Partners in Boston and uh, starting in 2000. Okay. And never became an entrepreneur. So I think that's why we tried to apply so many entrepreneurial things to this craft. Right. right. It's just because I missed out on that whole experience. You moved back to Boston for Seed Capital? Moved back to okay. Boston for Seed Capital. And that was funded by SoftBank? Yeah, it was set up with the exact same documents that uh, Flatiron Partners, which was Fred and Jerry had started, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which was 50% of the capital came from SoftBank. came from J.P. Morgan, Chase Capital Partners. And the whole idea at the time was be a feeder fund. Mm -hmm. Be a feeder fund, and then you guys do really interesting, unique things. Bring security companies from Israel, go figure out what you can find at MIT. And then once you kind of de-risk it, SoftBank, uh, being a feeder fund in 2000 was a really bad idea. Why? Nobody was eating. I mean, this was when the whole dot-com collapse and everything right, like that. Right, 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 right. Um, you were a scout fund. Essentially, you were like pushing it back up to SoftBank, and SoftBank was funny. Close for business, right? right. And, and I think that was actually the greatest lessons learned came from starting venture capital during that period. Yeah. You know, I just watched collapse after collapse, and you saw business models and fundamentals that didn't make sense but companies that had raised a ton of money and everything like yep. this. And you were like, wow, like how do I not repeat some of these as I do my first investment and become a professional in this industry? I'm skipping way ahead. Okay. So forgive me yeah. and our listeners, forgive me. Do you worry about that happening today? You know, there's some signs of that. I mean, SoftBank is literally oh. the one, again, <laughs> funding it all, I, at least I, the late stage stuff. I said this in an interview recently. Um, look, SoftBank has always done this, but Masa has just a habit of being all in and being right, mm. right? If you look at the history of it, whether it was, you know, what they did in Yahoo in Japan, broadband, everything, like Masa bets big, but when he bets, yeah. he's all in. And yeah. and a lot of stuff's work. So um, I think what the Vision Fund, look, it's changed the landscape, you know, um, but that brand is there. Like our best company is like, hey, can you introduce us to the Vision mm. Fund? Hmm. Hmm. So you were at, so you started Seed Capital. Started Seed Capital. 2000, 2001, 2000. Um, how long did you run that before joining Atlas? Four years. So um, had a really quirky group of uh, colleagues there. Uh, one was a gentleman named Babic Nivy, who ended up being a founder of AngelList. Another one was Alex, Fink- Alex Finkelstein, who was a general partner at Spark. Yep. Um, we put a shingle out, 585 Mass Ave, which was uh, Central Square, uh, Cambridge. Uh, if you've ever been there, it's kind of a tough place. Yep. And uh, day one, we realized, hey, just because we're here, nobody's going to come see us. Mm. And, and that was the first lesson that like, mm. hey, let's get busy. Nobody knows who we are. Let's go create our own flow. Let's go mm-hmm. create our own destiny, create mm-hmm. our own brand. And I think that's been a you know something that's 
always starting from that place mm-hmm. where you just didn't start with a brand. You didn't start with deal flow. Right. It's been a really healthy right. experience to learn from. How'd you do it? We did it like one entrepreneur at a time. I mean, right. I'd love to say that, you know, like, hey, well, there was some right. grand strategy. One entrepreneur at a time. You know, CyberArk coming over from Israel, setting up, you know, headquarters in Boston, uh, Data Powers, you know, spinning out of MIT, setting that up, which later sold to IBM. Uh, it, you know, Polychromics, which was MEMS based, uh, which ended up going to, you know, Thermofit or Thermo Electron. Can't even remember one of those, you know, companies in MEMS based. I mean, just was one entrepreneur at a right. time that we built a brand up. And from there, I've been, you know, like one of these things where people said, hey, we like you, but you're at this really small fund. Have you ever thought about being at a bigger fund? Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, pretty damn committed to what we're doing here. Right. Uh, right. But it was a tough time period. It wasn't clear that at that point in time that we had enough liquidity mm-hmm. to be able to raise you know, the next consecutive mm-hmm. fund. I had two partners, uh, Ron Schreiderber and Jordan Levy, who were God, mentors and dear friends. You probably know Jordan. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they were just at a different stage of their career. And they're like, hey, you should go do something else. Right. Um, right. And that's when I started talking to a few people, knew really little around kind of venture capital brands because I was like, I'm doing my thing here. Sure. sure. Um, met a bunch of them and just ended up uh, at Atlas. Um, you were at uh, you were at Atlas for, I think, almost 14 years, right? Yeah, well, yeah, it, it, we we still uh, are Atlas today too, okay. in some ways. So okay, yeah, so, so, so I guess it'd be great to hear maybe some of the highlights and lowlights there. And I know it's a very long period of time, but how ultimately that led to the decision to what would you call it? Spin out and create accomplice or yeah, I think it's like we rebranded, like re-branded. And, okay. and we can talk about that. So when I joined Atlas in two thousand four. It was a billion-dollar fund. It had eight or nine offices, you right. know, a bunch right. in Europe, right. you know, Munich, Paris. We had, you know, at one point had a West Coast office. And we were kind of strategically adrift. We didn't have a brand that stood for right. anything. Right. You know, we weren't early. We weren't late. Um, you know, but we had life science. We had tech. We had Europe. We had U.S. And we were all in this. And my first deal at um, Atlas was a company called Bit9, which is now named Carbon Black, which filed an S1 yesterday wow. to the public, which wow. is crazy. Yeah, crazy, right? That is crazy. That was the first deal you did there. Cr- first deal I did there. And that's 14 years 14 later. years later, and Damn. they filed an S1 wow. yesterday. Um, wow. So proud of that team and what they've accomplished. And it's going to be really big for Boston and just big for you know Atlas wow. Accomplice. But I remember I brought in Dr. Todd Brennan, who had previously sold a company called Okina to Cisco. And his whole idea was nobody adopted what he built the first time in the security space. So he decided to model something after the human immune system. And he built this piece of security software that was funded by the National Science Foundation. They got an NSF grant. And he came in and all he wanted was $2 million. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, come on in. And I'm like, there's going to be so many people in this room meeting you and weighing in on, we had, you know, the video conference from Munich. We had the video conference from Paris. We had a bunch of life science guys that do biotherapeutics. And we had this academic guy in the room talking about how he built this cyber pieces, you know, software. And at the end, he was like, dude, what was that? Oh my God. And I walked out and I was like, God, we got to change. Wow. Um, And then I think from 2004 to, you know, kind of 2008, we went through just a whole kind of change around, 
hey, let's really think about our brand here at Atlas. We didn't have the type of returns that we're going to be, you know, so you could be like a top decile brand. Yep. You know, there's a lot of consolidation happening in the venture capital land at that point. Um, and we just had a few zealots that just said, instead of going out and starting a clean sheet of paper, let's do it here. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up getting to a place where we had kind of shut down the European offices, really focused on one office. Like, that's what it's about. It's like when you have any type of a transition or a pivot, go to what works. And we went right. to a few people really committed to the early stage market in Boston. We did have life science and tech still at the time. Both groups were really focused on going early. We had a committed group of LPs that had funded us when they really shouldn't have. But I think mm. they were like, we're going to take- They stuck with you. We're going to take a chance in your leadership here. Yep. Um, prove it to us. And we went out and started executing on a strategy, which was seed-led, which really put us on the map of, let's go early. We were doing it at a time in Boston where nobody was doing that. Right. You know, right. The, the firms had not gone through generation succession. Right. You know, they were all looking for kind of revenue, late stage, you know, risk adverse. And we became the game in town, which was, we'll take bets on first-time founders. We'll take bets on new technology. And we're going to roll up our sleeves and work, you know, grounds up with you guys. Um, we did that successfully. We got to a place in 2014. Uh, the life science guys had done great. We had done great. We sat around and we had this one observation, which was we were still investing out of the same hybrid vehicle that we had mm-hmm. always done. Mm-hmm. With ever stopping and taking a look whether LPs wanted that, mm-hmm. you know, did LPs want best of breed life science, that they want best of breed tech, that they want to decide whether they wanted 70% of their allocation going into tech, 70% life science, 30%. Yep. We never even thought about that. We're just right. like, here's what you get. Yep. Um, but the other And to th- a certain degree, I guess, just here's what we've been doing. Here's, here's what we've right. been doing. Right. And right. somebody would ask the question of like, why have you been doing this? And you're like, uh, we've been together a long time. Right. right? And that was our answer right. because there really weren't any synergies as they were going more and more to biotherapeutics, 100% biotherapeutics, really hard to hit drug targets, spinning compounds and molecules out of pharma, a lot of earnout deals. Pharma became their customer. Mm-hmm. And yep. at the same right. time, with us going earlier and earlier, the entrepreneur was our customer. Mm-hmm. And these brands just couldn't sustain under the same, you know, the same storefront. As we're yeah. like, hey, we want to go offer a bunch of our carry to angels to basically build, you know, kind of scout programs and stuff like this. They're like, hey, we want pharma to be a $30 million, $40 million LP in our next fund. And you're like, these two things just couldn't exist. So right, right. both sides, we announced at an annual meeting to our LPs. We announced that we were going to split into two separate funds. Um, we weren't sure what the LPs would think. Right. You know, like it was one of these things that we decided not to ask the LPs because we always felt like bad thing to ask LPs what you should do. You should have conviction and go sell it in, in a way that, you know. Were there, like, were there any LPs that viewed it as a way just to get broad diversity across technology ecosystems like were there any lps that said hmm this is a way to get maybe exposure to very different things but we trust all this one group of managers like were there any lps that thought it was a good idea i don't think there was a single lp that was disappointed when we split Mm. wow um you know and i think we made the mistake at a time of you know i remember we were raising you know which was um accomplice fund one um, it was actually, we didn't have a name yet. So we raised our first fund right. without a name. We I remember that. Under the FKA moniker. I remember that. And you crowdsourced the name. We no? crowdsourced yeah, the name. That's right. I remember yeah, that. After we had raised the fund. So we went yeah. out and raised formerly known as. Um, but, <laughs> like you know, that. we went, uh, our thought was like, hey, if you are a $20 million LP, 
you know, in the new kind of land, you'd probably take 10 million to go to tech and 10 million to go to life science. But those LPs were like, no, no, actually we want 20 in this and we want 20 in life science. And so we ended hmm. up in a problem, which was a good problem to have, but like the first fund, you know, by no, we didn't do anything good. We just had LPs that were supportive. Right. Right. We were highly oversubscribed. And then we had to cut everybody back just to kind of fit that first vehicle in. Because the one thing that Ryan and I, when we set out to do this, we we're like, we're going to live and die by a f- small fund size. And we're not going to change that. We yep. knew exactly how to make our seed-led math work yep. on a $200 million fund. Yep. And we had seen so, so many brethren, including where we just come from, you become adrift once you raise larger and yep. larger funds, you write larger checks, or you diversify by the number of partners, offices. And we're like, let's make this work with a smaller fund structure. So same LPs as, as Atlas? The fund, the makeup of LPs since fund eight has been really consistent. So fund eight, fund nine at Atlas, fund one, and fund two at Accomplice, has been a really consistent LP base. How long do you... And I realize, sorry, I'm jumping around again, but how long do you think it, like, when do you think you got good at being a VC? Oh, God. Because you've been through <sighs> a few firms and you've been doing it for how long now? I was just, I've been doing this for 18 years. 18 years. Um, so the short answer is there's, I wake up at three in the morning at least a couple times a month and still wonder if I'm good at this or right. not because the, right. the feedback cycles are so long. Right. And I remember actually standing up. I'm your, I'm your six and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering. Yeah, like, <laughs> we, we laugh about this, but yeah. um, uh, there, there was a general partner um, managing director at a firm called Northbridge, Ed Anderson, mm-hmm. um, who was a bit of a hard nut. And I remember when they were interviewing with them and they had offered me a job when I joined Atlas, you know, Ed said, you know, the thing that sucks is I'm offering you a job, but I'm not going to know if you're very good or not for 10 years. Right. And I was wow. like, well, I could have liquidity in seven years. He's like, mm-hmm. yeah, but any SOB can get lucky. Right. right. And that was, right. you know, kind of the way to look at it. And um, I guess my question is, when, when, when was there a moment, maybe earlier <laughs> in your career, where you're like, I think I'm getting the hang of this? E- even, even if you then subsequently got like, slapped in the face and maybe humbled like was there a po- moment in time maybe you know when you were more junior where where you start maybe you had made some mistakes and you start to feel like you're figuring it out or maybe that moment never happened i don't think I don't it's know. ever happened i think that you know part of this is always fueled by a paranoia of you know like am i good at this right and right. that kind of fuels the work and look venture capital is a business where you're going to have a lot of failures Right. And yep. especially when you're investing in as early as we are, yep. um, there's going to be a lot of failures. Um, in the last year, you know, it's been interesting that, you know, I'm part of a bunch of companies, Veracode, which I was a founder of. It was a 10 year journey. We sold that to CA Technologies for $614 million. Um, that was 10 years. Carbon Black Bit 9, 14 year journey to get mm-hmm. to an S1. We incubated that in my office with, wow. you know, these guys. Wow. Um, um, you know, it was funny that I'm on the board of nine companies that are greater than a hundred million dollar recurring revenue, but they all started at zero. But they're all long, you know, right. arduous journeys. And right. you know, look, I'm not in anything that's been a quick hit where I'm like, hey, you know, I invested and two years later we sold it for three and a half million dollars. Mm-hmm. I haven't been part of that. Maybe I'm not that good, maybe I'm not that part of lucky, but mm-hmm. I get involved in these things with people that are mission driven and we 
go on very, very long journeys together. We'd face adversity together. And I think the brand at Accomplice and Atlas has been when the chips are down and when shit gets hard, we've been there with these people. And that's why, you know, you talk to Naval, you talk to Patrick, you talk to Fred Schumover, we're their first call. And, you know, yeah. they're the guys that are giving us the references for every yeah. other entrepreneur. And yeah. that's the, when LPs do references on us, I think they come back and they're like, you know, you guys have a great portfolio. I'm not sure about your strategy, but God, when we called entrepreneurs and we called founders, we called CEOs, that's where you guys shined. That's amazing. Um, that really is amazing. Um, so you 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 spun accomplice, ultimately named accomplice. Who won the contest, by the way? Oh, uh, so we had. Um, I just reviewed this last week. We had sixteen thousand naming entries. Oh wow! So the whole idea was um, let's. So we met with a branding consultant. Um, have you ever seen the movie Best in Show? Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. It was like people from that that are the branding <laughs> consultants. Yeah, yeah. They come in there yeah. and they're like, hey, we're going to throw out some names and just tell me how you feel. Skylight Capital. How does that make you feel? Makes me feel pissed off. We're paying you $75,000. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. so we came out of one of those meetings and I'm like, no more. Like, right. this is just not us. Right. It's not us at an ethos. It's not us right. as a brand. Right. Let's take whatever we're going to pay these dumbasses. And let's, you know, give it back to the community. Let's set up a contest. And we told Sarah Downey and Zoe, we're like, hey, go get us five, 500 entries. And then through kind of, you know, Dan Primack, Naval, social mm -hmm. media, just like what we said mm -hmm. was whoever basically picks our name, the partners here will give a $100,000 investment in the fund. Yep. We'll make it on their behalf. Entrepreneur in Sacramento came up with a name. That's we awesome. invited him to our first annual meeting, came up and got a golf size, you know, carry check and everything awesome. like that. Um, and awesome. it was really interesting. I mean, like, um, it was like, look, there were a bunch of names that were hilarious. Yeah. You know, and yeah. then people actually took some time and thought about some stuff mm -hmm. and would write very right. long prose on, here's why I think you guys should be named this. And it was, it was fascinating to be a part of, but yep. So we spun accomplice out, we raised uh, fund one under FKA and we started investing June of 2015 in accomplice one. How many people went with accomplice? The entire team was, we had four partners and we had an entire organization about 20, which is still the organization. Cause we run the Atlas. We still have the back office for Atlas at accomplice. Yep. Um, and our life science guys just moved down the street. So uh, the joke is it was a divorce. It was an amicable divorce. Mm -hmm. They kept the name. We kept the house. Mm -hmm. Love it. Um, so I want to talk a, a bunch about Spearhead and yep. Maiden Lane and AngelList and all the interesting work that um, uh, that you've been involved with since – the very beginning of AngelList, yes, I think. Very so um, what would be great is if you could just tell us quickly about uh, maybe the founding story behind AngelList. And obviously, I didn't even realize you worked with um, Nivy. Uh, with Nivy um, back at uh, Seed Capital which is, And, and um, so, yeah, it would be great to hear a little bit about the origin story there and, and, and when and how you got involved. Yeah, so Nivy had started something in the beginning called Venture Hacks. Right, that's right. It's, it's, with Naval, no? No, actually, oh, it was, it was, okay. in the beginning, it was just Nivy. Okay. Um, okay. And Nivy came out of a company called Songbird, which I invested in at Atlas, which was um, us and Sequoia invested. Nivy was kind of a quasi-founder of Songbird, which was open source iTunes. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we never got off the ground. One, because Apple builds pretty good software, so you don't really need an open mm-hmm. source solution. And two, that streaming just beat yeah. out at downloads. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Nivy went from that and said, hey, really, I have this project where I want to help entrepreneurs get a fair shake from venture capitalists. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, what do you mean by that? And his idea was, as an entrepreneur, you go and negotiate a term sheet maybe 10 times in your entire you know, entrepreneurial career. Maybe more, but 10 times. As a VC or on the other side of a table, you're doing this thousands of times. Mm-hmm. So he saw a lack of symmetry from an information perspective. And he was like, I want to help every single you know, entrepreneur get the best deal they can when they're going in there from a venture capital perspective. He's like, I want to write this whole you know, crazy thing around the stock option pool shuffle, you know, how valuation is temporary but controls forever, all the tricks of a trade. And he's like, I want Naval, who's just amazing at this, to kind of guide me. And I want you to kind of give me the venture capital playbook of all these things you, that mm-hmm. you guys do. And he's like, and I want you to invest $25,000. And I'm like, all right, it's really great being friends with you. Right. And, <laughs> right. So right. I, wrote, I wrote a note to the partnership, which was like to clear conflicts of interest. And I was like, this will never be a venture capital investment. This is a complete uh-huh. waste of $25,000. But <laughs> this is my personal belief when you have talented friends and they're doing something, you're, sure. you invest in them. Right. That's you right. Know, sight unseen. That's right. So away we went with Venture Hacks. Um, venture Hacks probably had product market fit for the smallest market in humanity, which was the number of entrepreneurs actually negotiating on yep. a term sheet. So most of the feedback was, hey, guys, thank you. This is extremely helpful for when I get a term sheet. But how, who, mm-hmm. who do mm-hmm. I approach? I'm an entrepreneur doing this. Like, right. do, can you guys give me any guidance on actually how I get money in here? And then, you know, credit to Naval. Naval was like, you know, hey, like, let's build a spreadsheet. And then that yep. spreadsheet just had firm, name a partner, specific areas of expertise, any entrepreneur comments. And that spreadsheet went viral overnight. And then all of a sudden, we're like, it's a two-sided marketplace. Yep. And we set up AngelList, you know, right away. Uh, those guys built it with kind of product in mind. So many other people had always tried to set up, oh, hey, you could have this entrepreneurial matching thing, but never like, or try to take a cut out of everything. They were completely like mission driven. We almost yep. set it up as a nonprofit. They were doing like email, even it was like all email based in the in the, in the the really early days, weren't there? I remember. So we would we would do the email digest of here's the in- most interesting companies on AngelList right. and stuff like this right. too, right? right. And, right. We, and we said we had an algorithm and we didn't. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Um, so, and, th- and that's when they, that's when it was like, oh, there's a, there's a real startup. That, here. That's and where there's a real business. Raising and capital. And, and we, deal. we put in capital, um, from Atlas. We, right. we wrote a real check. Right. Uh, okay. So this was right. This was Atlas. This was, uh, yeah, we, years. we wrote a real right. check. Um, and you know, Angelus went out, um, took a while to find the exact business model. We tried a bunch of different things. If you figure out how to monetize it. You know, we didn't really think about, you know, the carry piece of it, which is, you know, kind of mm-hmm. the, one of the main monetization for the investment side of AngelList. Um, we tried a bunch of things, you know, and it's funny, I actually teach um, the AngelList case study at both Harvard and MIT. And when you throw it out to people, everybody's got the worst ideas of how to monetize it. Like, right. charge VCs as a software as a service. Right. Do you know how many VC firms there are? How right. much money is that going to add up right. to? It's like never right. a lot. Right. Um, so we came up with, you know, kind of, and it was the Jobs Act, if you remember when the job yep. that happened. And yep. that really enabled us to do so many things um, and kind of cleared the way for us to take a piece of carrying everything that happened on the platform. And that's when the whole idea around syndicates came out. 
just a brilliant idea that Naval had. That's when we launched Maiden Lane One. Yep. And this was, we went out to RLPs um, and we said, we're raising a $25 million fund. Yep. You cannot invest more than $5 because this is a complete experiment. Like yep. a little experiment that we can't tell you if it's going to work or not. Yep. We want to pick the most interesting syndicates, which are ran by like people like yourself yep. and say, hey, I've got flow. I don't necessarily have capital, but I've got flow and I'm going to go invest in this company and I'm going to put 50000 of my own personal money in and then I'm going to syndicate. 200, 300, 500,000 additional, and I'm going to charge a carried interest on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so Maiden Lane One was trying to take advantage of the best syndicates on the AngelList platform. So let me ask you a question because you've been on the board, AngelList. Since the beginning. Since the beginning. Uh, come from a reasonably traditional venture firm and background with what I assume are pretty traditional LPs, no? Yeah. Um, I mean, large institutions, large and, institutions. I mean, some, some real thought leaders in, in my mind, but yes. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I don't mean that as a, no, as, as right, disparagingly, no. but, um, and some have been on your podcast and yet, <laughs> and yet, and yet AngelList at, at, certainly at times over the course of its history has been in theory, very disruptive to a lot of those traditional institutions and firms. And so I'm curious, like how you've, reconciled that over the years as Atlas on the board um, and also began to think about running a lot of these new experiments. And we'll talk about Spearhead, but it made in lane clearly being one of the first big ones. Yeah. And we even tried something called Boston Syndicates in Boston, where we looked at Boston at an ecosystem and said, you know, the angel investor substrate in Boston has kind of disappeared. Mm-hmm. You know, just absolutely trumped by what was in the West Coast and yeah, New York he, too. I think New York Chris, too. New York yeah, had done sure. a much better job yeah. of like younger capital putting money back. And so with Boston, no, I mean New York is actually prob- is pretty. I think pretty thin. Okay, similar to Boston. Yeah, I guess anyway, we, you know, grass greener on the sure, other side sure, type of sure, thing, sure, right? Sure. We we look at well, we always like, hey, we're losing to New York on it. So if that was mm-hmm. our, our rallying mm-hmm. cry because we don't like to lose you guys in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, <laughs> but often do. No, I'm <laughs> So we set up this thing. We had this uh, private dinner um, and we invited a bunch of, you know, kind of the successful entrepreneurs in Boston. And we started with, you have a social responsibility to be an angel investor. Mm. We don't care whether you want to or not. It mm. is your responsibility. And, you know, of course, some guys, oh, I tried it twice. It didn't work. I'm like, I'm, I'm investing in real estate now. We're right. like, just right. shut up. Listen to uh, social responsibility to invest some of the capital that you've made back into the next pay it forward, help the next. And so we, you know, and then all of a sudden we said, here's what we're going to do from Atlas. Anytime that you actually sponsor a younger entrepreneur and you put in your own capital and you take an active role in mentoring and helping that entrepreneur and startup, we will give $250,000 to that startup, sight unseen, and we'll give you our entire carry on that $250,000. And all of a sudden, it was like, boom. Right. Right? It was right. like silence right. in the room. People were like, uh, where's the catch? And we're like, there, <laughs> there is like, no catch. You're like, they're, they're like, I've got seven startups ready to <laughs> right, go. Right. Um, how, but how do your LPs think about that? So that was what, so, what, that was what was interesting. Right. It was like, so first off, we went out to the LPs and we're like, hey, we have to get a waiver to give away our carry. Right. Right. And they're like, I don't think we've ever heard of that before. <laughs> right. You know, right. Like, right. So you want to give away, you know, right. carry. And that's when like some other of the VC brethren are like calling up and they're like, Hey, uh, 
what are you guys doing? This is making right. us look bad right. and everything like this. And we're right. like, look, all we're trying to do is build an ecosystem here and start to federate out some of the decision-making at the earliest stages of innovation. And we told our LPs, we're like, hey, we don't know if this is going to work or not. Mm-hmm. We don't know if these $250,000 are going to turn into what kind of deal flow or anything like that. We weren't thinking about that. We mm-hmm. were really thinking about ecosystem cultivation. Boston ended up doing 50 investments. So wow. we had made 50 investments. Funny enough, it happened uh, 50 investments, about 35 leads actually wrote a check and that we followed on with you know, the $250,000. Wow. Um, accomplished did, and Atlas and Accomplished did follow in on a couple of those things, like Love Pop, right. which, right. Um, you know, and, and a few other investments as well. But we never did that from a deal flow perspective. But what we did do was we taught a bunch of people that they could be angel investors, mm-hmm. and that started happening. Mm-hmm. And then, and presumably who are now grateful to Atlas and will be part of your network and send you stuff in the future. And that, that. That, that is very true. In I mean, there, there, yeah. are, there are some great stories here of like, um, you know, somebody who was a prominent entrepreneur in Boston who was not backed by us. They were backed by, you know, General Catalyst and Excel. Um, they had a deal and they called me up and it was not in Boston. And so I called them and I said, hey, I love this, but you know, I can't do a $250,000 check and give you the carry because guess what? Like, this is not in Boston. Boston is for Boston. He's like, I know, dude. He's like, we're in business together now. Wow. Like, right? And, wow. yeah. and then a few weeks later, I was at a, you know, event with General Catalyst, and they're like, how do you see that? And I'm like, uh, through your guy. Right. <laughs> right? You know, right. They're, like, right. they're like, well. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it definitely, you know, built some loyalty and it built a bunch of ambassadors and evangelists for mm-hmm. us, which was great. Um, and then I think on, you know, the LP side, I think the LPs were just like, Hey, whatever you guys want to do in trying to build this thing, you know, just drive really interesting investments and returns. And Maiden Lane was to set up in the same way. I was like, Hey, we tried this with boss. Let's try this now with Maiden Lane. We're not going to geographically limit it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to try to basically get into the best absolute syndicates we can. And that worked. The thing that we didn't realize was it was just really stellar individuals that were getting a small slice of the hottest A or B rounds. So it wasn't really a catalyst for like new innovation or new entrepreneurs. Mm. Maiden Lane ended up being like, oh, hey, Sequoia and, you know, Andreessen are doing this and somebody was able to get into 300K allocation. They're going to write 25K and then 275K we're going to syndicate out. Um, There's really great deals in Maiden Lane 1, but it didn't translate into anything that is like, disruptive mm-hmm. or the democratization of an asset class or, or necessarily like, like uncovering the new thing no. off the beaten path that no one ever would have seen or something like that. No, right. it, it, in reality, it was using angel list as an operating system for something that probably would have happened offline anyway mm-hmm. in these ways. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but just like software replaced paperwork and angel list was great for that. Then maiden lane two came around with something that, um, Naval had thought about called angel funds. Mm-hmm. And it was like, hey, instead of like a syndicate on a deal by deal basis, just take the best people who are doing syndicates yep. and just be like, hey, we'll give you a fund. Yep. Like we'll be the entire yep. back office, the entire LP base. All you have to do is invest. And that was like a million or two per person or? Yeah. Depended. D- depended. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. but you're generally thinking about yeah. it in the right way. And so then we said, hey, let's go out there and we'll raise Maiden Lane 2. And so we went out to the same LPs and we're like, hey, like Maiden Lane 1 was that experiment. Here's what we got right. Here's mm-hmm. what we got wrong. Mm-hmm. Maiden Lane 2, 100% angel funds. Mm-hmm. And we're going to go try to pick the best people out of, you know, who did kind of the syndicates in Maiden Lane 1 yep. and the best people that ever syndicated anything on AngelList. And we're going to go offer them a fund. 
mm-hmm. and we'll just offer them a fund where it looks like we're the LP. Mm-hmm. We're also the back office. So all you got to do is go invest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Who's and AngelList is back office, just to be clear, not not uh, Atlas or Accomplice. <laughs> no, it's right. AngelList is the back office. There's a little bit of this just because it is like a, a fund where AngelList yeah. or where Accomplice is taking on some of those roles. Um, yeah. So yeah. full credit to Frank and Travis. I'm not trying to cut you guys out of a credit on this thing. <laughs> right. Um, right. And, you know, right when we started Maiden Lane 2, uh, Naval and I grabbed dinner and a, and a bottle of wine and we had our laptops and we were starting to launch things and the data was showing us something that surprised us. And the data was showing us that we had always thought it was going to be the celebrity angels that had made the best syndicates. Mm-hmm. We always like, okay, you can name who they are. You know, the guys who mm-hmm. exit their companies for billions, who are mm-hmm. sought after at the cocktail parties and everything like that. Right. We always thought those were going to be the syndicates that had the In terms quality. of best performers? We always had the highest quality deal flow when we looked at, yeah. we thought that's where it was going to come from. Yeah. We were entirely wrong. Hmm. And what we saw was there's this like strength of relationship score from younger founders and younger entrepreneurs that were like, yeah, hey, like, I've worked with Danny for five years. Mm. We went to Stanford Computer Science together and we toiled together in like the, you know, working 80 hour, you know, weeks. Right. And anything he was going to do, I was going to invest. And right. I don't have a whole hell of a lot of money in my bank account. Right. But that 5,000 bucks mm. was damn meaningful. And we looked at that and we're like, oh, wow. Like there's a whole group out there that doesn't think of themselves as an angel investor. Mm-hmm. They just think of themselves as giving their most talented friends who they have right. conviction for wow. capital. Right. And we're like, a bunch of them aren't even accredited, but right. let's go take that group and harness them into an army and actually build a whole curriculum and community out of that. Right. And that's how Spearhead was born. And that's Spearhead. And so just to be clear, does that mean that essentially Spearhead is the next evolution of Maiden Lane? Yep. Or will those things run so, in parallel? Nope. Maiden Lane um, is fun now one, a legacy. So yeah, and Fund 2 yep. is now Spearhead Fund 1. Yep. And Spearhead Fund 1 is a very talented first cohort of 20 uh, founders. Um, we had 1,500 applications for those slots. We interviewed 70, four geographic markets, Boston, New York, LA, San Francisco. Um, and we just launched it. And the first few investments, I think we've now, the Spearhead leads have done four investments so far. We're about a month into the program. Uh, our goal will be to run another cohort in the fall and run two cohorts a year for the next few years and then look at the data. With a focus on, like you said, founders maybe earlier in their career yeah. have their uh, you know eyes and ears open to the ground. That's what we like say. the next thing. You know, it, yeah. it's really interesting. Similar LP base. It's same exact same LP, exact same LP, exact LP yep. base. Yep. The interesting thing, like in the interviews, um, so many of the founders were like, hey, I'm a founder. I'm busy. Like, do I have to turn into a deal hound? Do I have to go build a storefront? We're like, no. Like, are you mentoring people today? Yeah, I'm mentoring like really good friends of mine who are starting companies. Well, are they talented? Well, eight out of the nine are talented, yeah, right? right. Like, right. like I'm one, I just have to. Mm-hmm. But the, and, I'm like, <laughs> and, and I'm like, hey, get paid for your mentorship. Got it. Yep. Like in the ones where you have the most conviction, don't change anything that you're doing. Yep. Learn this craft, and this craft have a bunch of nuances, as you know, like we can discuss. Learn this craft, but put money behind the people they have the most conviction for, and put them in business. Be yep. that first check, and help galvanize what they want to do. Yep. And that that took off, and that's exactly where we're pointing people. 
So in some ways, you are doing some investing that would typically be considered LP investing. True. Historically. True. Um, I'm curious, just from a personal perspective, uh, how you think about that and do you like it? And is it something you imagine, like how, how you view that personally? Is it is it is it experiments you're running as a VC? Is it a way to mentor maybe the next generation of people you think could be VCs? Is it just this fun side project? How do you how do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's it's probably a little bit of all of it, but at the underlying thing is I don't actually think of it as being either you know, a VC or an LP, I think about it just being entrepreneur from a capital market and from a democratization mm -hmm. of an asset class, right? Mm -hmm. You just kind of sit there and think about what should happen. I believe founders backing founders is the next move that should happen. Mm -hmm. You look at that in the earliest stages, in the pre-seed stage, venture capital dollars, with the exception of a few firms that are really dedicated to it, they just can't serve that market. Mm -hmm. Like even me as a $200 million fund, which like Ryan and I've always said, $200 million fund, we go early. We're not doing that. Yeah. You yeah. know, and we're doing it. Yeah. And you should. And, you <laughs> and we're are, a lot smaller fund than and you guys are doing, doing it yeah. well. But yeah. like you can pretty much count on, you know, like yeah. you know, two hands how many people are doing that. Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, then, you know, the curse of it is that some of them that do it well then add more capital and they drift away from yes. that. And yes. so we think this founders backing founders is a really important part of this. Yeah. I do hope that we get to a place, and I believe that Angelus will be the operating system for this. That LPs can just sit there and say, you know what? There's a group of founders that we want to invest in and we want to mm -hmm. put money behind them. Yeah. Maybe they came through Spearhead and maybe they didn't. Maybe it's Spearhead alum, but we're going to put money behind these guys and we're yeah. going to start to yeah. you know, run a program that way. And it's okay, in theory, if they don't necessarily do it for the next 10 years and if one of them slots out and a new person slots in and that's totally. all okay. Yeah, it's right. all okay. Right. And I will tell you that from the interviews that we did, those 70 interviews, and I believe I asked every single one of them this, um, very, very few, if any, wanted to actually be a venture capitalist. They're like, no, mm. I'm a founder, right? right? I'd love right. to invest because I believe that actually investing is a great way to give back. It's a great way to keep score. It's a great way to have fun. But I'm really not interested in being, you know, what they considered a venture capitalist. From, a, from, a, from an LP perspective, are your LPs just as supportive of this today as when you first maybe started to run these experiments? Or, or do you find yourself having to maybe, yeah? I think on Spearhead was kind of the one where it was like, oh, put chocolate with peanut butter. Duh. Mm -hmm. Like it was kind of like in some ways <laughs> right. the culmination of right. so of much work right. we've right. done. And that as soon as you basically understood that one, you're like, yeah. This is the one. They're, and they're kind of like, now you guys better build that curriculum. You better, and we we hired a full time executive director for Spearhead because Spearhead is a partnership between accomplice and angelist. Mm -hmm. And we hired you know somebody to be neither mm -hmm. angelist nor accomplice, full time executive director. Um, we're building you know we have a dinner here tonight in New York. Lee Linden talk about mm -hmm. his experience as an investor. Mm -hmm. We are building community and curriculum, and we are actually every single investment somebody has a, almost like your deal Sherpa of like. Hey Jeff, I'm thinking about doing this. Like any guidelines, and we're just trying to help get things done. Yep. Um, and I think our LPs are like, "Hey, make that work." That sounds like a great model. Yep. Um, and yep. it's funny. I think some people are like, "Hey, is this a better scout program?" We don't look at it that way. Um, 
I, I think we look at this as this should be an institution like Y Combinator that should stand. Yep. You know, Y Combinator is where you go learn how to be an entrepreneur. Yep. This is how you learn to be an angel investor and yep. you practice this craft for a very long time. And to be fair, you know, Y, y Combinator too was essentially incubated right. inside a venture firm, Yeah, they just right? don't talk about that. They don't really talk about that much, but, you know, basically, you know, I've, my understanding is Sequoia was Sequoia. Really the only yeah. LP in the early days. And they stand on their own, obviously. They do. And this will stand on its own. And um, look, it's going to be a fun experiment. And I, I think LPs, you know, it's so funny. Like I, I meet other like GPs that are like so scared to like go to their LPs and like, hey, I want to try this or anything like this. Or like we've just been completely transparent. Mm. And we've always been like, hey, we're going to go try a bunch of things that yep. some are going to work, some aren't. Um, we're hopefully going to do it in a way where we titrate capital and the ones that really kind of do last. But we've just been really open and honest with the, you yeah. know, people and just like shared everything, yeah. inclu including the failures. And we just launched a, a small little crypto initiative on the platform too. And the same thing. We're like, guys, we have no clue, but we mm -hmm. believe that, you know, kind of blockchain and some form of crypto are fundamental building blocks. And we want to see equity investments in these spaces. Yeah. And we're yeah. going to, yeah. And so I think it, we've always done things with like, hey, let's open the kimono and, you know, look, if you want a stable, same strategy, same group of people, nothing changes, we're not your VC mm -hmm. manager, mm -hmm. go somewhere else. But mm -hmm. if you want somebody who's going to try to stay contemporary, try to look yeah. at things and yeah. always think about, you know, where the opportunities are going to be, that's what we're trying to do. That's fantastic. Do you, do you have another 18 years in you? I've got another 18 years of doing something. Yeah. You know, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. We actually just, uh, one of the things that Ryan and I are trying to do at Accomplice is be more player coach. And we've got it, like a new generation of partners that are coming up and principals right. coming up. Right. We run this thing called Jump School every Monday where we teach like the lessons learned from 18 years of, you know, scar tissue and everything right. like this. Um, and I think that is really interesting. And, you know, one of the things is, I look at I looked at my calendar, you know, now versus eight years ago. I had a lot more time to be proactive, outbound, mm -hmm. you know, a lot more time to think about investment theses, a lot more time to go really deep in communities and MIT. I don't have that time right now, mm -hmm. and so it's like, how do you get that next generation really spending the time on that? Um, but yeah, I look, I view that I'm going to be doing venture capital investing for for quite some time. Um. Well, uh, the folks that are learning from you at Accomplice are are are, are almost, you know, certainly certainly very very lucky, and uh, um, or maybe crazy, or more um, crazy. That's all. Yeah, I about or it, like, right? uh, you know, um, they'll have an opportunity to, I'm sure, run run many more experiments with you. Um, thank you for uh, thank you fun. for taking the time, and really appreciate all the best. Yeah, thanks very much. This podcast was created by Nick Charles and Alex Lines, partners at Notation Capital. Notation is a pre-seed venture capital firm in New York. We work with technical founding teams in the trenches from day zero. You can find us on Twitter at Notation Capital. Thanks to Carta for sponsoring this episode. eShares is now Carta. We use the product at Notation and recommend it to all the companies we work with. Carta also has a product specifically for LPs. Carta for LPs allows you to easily manage K-1s, capital calls, investment KPIs, and more. If you want to learn more about Carta for LPs, visit Carta.com. We'd also like to thank Silicon Valley Bank. SVB is the bank of the world's most innovative companies and their investors. 
Their experts help innovators, enterprises, and investors move their bold ideas forward. Tap into the experience and connections of the SVB team for advice on strategic, operational, and tactical issues and limited partner insights. Silicon Valley Bank is a member of the FDIC. If you like this episode, please share and remember to tag it with the hashtag OpenLP. We'd also like to thank Ben Glaue, who is our amazing audio engineer. You should work with him. You can find Ben on Twitter at visible underscore sound. <laughs>